weird. They didn't want to tell anyone yet, because this object was too weird to be believed. It was in the wrong place. No. Weird. Australia. Hey, I'm Stu Buchanan, and this is the New Weird Australia podcast. New Weird Australia, an initiative which explores eclectic and experimental Australian music in all its diversity. Now, uh, in addition to the podcast, we've got a whole bunch of activity that's running right now. We released a brand new compilation last month called Solitary Wave, a two-volume compilation of some of the best experimental Australian music being made right now. And uh, because of where we are in the world with COVID-19, unfortunately, we can't really have a launch party. We can't really gather together, play music and uh, enjoy, I guess, a traditional album launch in the way that we might have done even a few months ago. But uh, in lieu of that, we've decided to do something a little bit special, which is to make a launch film instead. Now, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it's being recorded on Monday the 8th of June. That launch film will be released later this week and features 14 clips from many of the artists on the compilation. And uh, many of those clips were made exclusively for this film. That's the Solitary Wave launch film. Look for it on all the New Weird Australia channels uh, later this week. Uh, This podcast series, uh, this is the third in the kind of relaunched series. We took a bit of a break for a while, um, but we're back. Match Fit, Rabbit Island and Ruben Engel were my guests for the previous two podcasts in the series. And coming up soon, I'm going to be chatting to both Party Doesn't and Jessica at birth. So if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed, maybe you're listening to it on SoundCloud or just listening to this particular episode, do subscribe so that you can get all of those uh, upcoming episodes in the podcast series. Some great chats on the way. Now, this particular episode features a chat with Talia Palmer talking about her project Ambi Downs. Now, Talia is an interdisciplinary artist of Yawalari descent. And uh, this project is a kind of music, sound, field recording project, but she also works across film, photography, painting, textiles. Now, due to uh, particular family circumstances, Talia only became aware of her Indigenous heritage a little later in life. And Ambidowns is actually one of the ways in which she researches and reflects on her background through a combination of deep listening and deep historical thought. It's a fascinating project. Two albums under her belt, Conjarling Studies and Cyclical, and you can find it, one of the tracks from Cyclical on the new Solitary Wave compilation. Let's get into it. This is Talia Palmer, uh, a.k.a. Ambie Downs, for New Weird Australia. How are you doing? I'm good. First of all, hello. Thanks very much for having a chat today. No worries. It's uh, a pleasure. Nice to be um, nice to be chatting to you. Let's start with one of the kind of 
succinct descriptions that I read about your work. In prepping for this chat, I've trawled through uh, a few different projects of yours on the internet, and uh, all the descriptions have their own kind of subtle differences. But let's start with this one, where you said you travel around Australian landmass taking photos, making videos, and learning history. Yes. And that seems that seems pretty succinct. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's like I think it's the most straightforward way of describing what I do and how I like to live. <laughs> yeah. So would you say then that you're, you travel a lot? Or are you fairly itinerant? Yeah, I've been fairly itinerant throughout my adult life. Like I've kind of switched between Western Australia and Victoria a couple of times, but I've done the sort of drive across and a little bit around and up. Like, I don't know, just... <laughs> I can't, I can't really stay still, I think, has been my thing. Like, I've never really felt comfortable planting myself in one spot. Like, after a little while, I start to get a bit jittery and just want to keep moving, you know. It wasn't really until I landed in uh, Albany, like in Kinjaling, last year that I actually started to feel grounded somewhere for the first time. And that's, you know, right at the beginning of my 30s. So it's a long mm. time to feel mm. displaced. <laughs> well, look, um, let's rewind a little bit before we sort of get to that space. In one of your other bios, um, you describe yourself as a history nerd. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was, was that something, you, were you a history nerd at school? I mean, how did you first sort of develop that sort of sensibility, that love of history? Yeah, I had a really good history teacher in high school, I think, that sort of sparked a, an interest in, in history and like how to read history and stuff. But like my, my grandmother... And, uh, and grandfather on my mum's side, they're both from uh, Holland. They were migrants to Australia from uh, Holland. So, yeah, like hearing about their lives, what it was like, you know, previous, that kind of sparked it, just, you know, family stories and things. And then as I got older, I started to realise that Australia had like a really deep and rich history. And then, yeah, as time went on, I started to understand just how deep it really is and, I've just been obsessed ever since. I think it's a really important way to look at the world and how we live and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned there your uh, grandparents were Dutch, I say, but you're also of Eulerai uh, descent. Am I pronouncing that correctly? <laughs> yeah, Eulerai. Uh, I think is, is how I understand it to be yeah. pronounced. Yeah, that's um, on my dad's side. And that's kind of the north, north, northwest New South Wales, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for a project you did in, I think it's about 2016 or something, you sort of note that there had sort of been family pressure to hide your sort of Aboriginal uh, identity, I suppose, or to at least keep keep details from me. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Because that sounds fairly intrinsic to the work and the work that followed that, certainly. Yeah, well... It was sort of like I didn't I didn't know that aspect of, of my paternal uh, heritage until I was a teenager because, you know, like everyone, you know, that lives now is fairly white passing and it never really came up. But then once I once I learnt that, I started to really think about what, you know, what that meant and did a lot of research into, like talked to my family a little bit, but the family was quite broken as well, so that was hard. So I had to turn to, like, you know, the archives and uh, more academic research to really understand why that was. And I think because there was a lot of shame about it, it's kind of hard to talk about because it makes me feel pretty emotional because there's still a lot of leftover pain and trauma from those experiences of my ancestors. Of course, yeah, 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 of course. I guess that has led you to the areas of study that in, in which you operate. 
Um, mm, and, absolutely. And, I mean, all art and artistry, I suppose, is is often just you know has some sort of search for identity. It's a sense of expression and self expression and so on. But you're Yours is much more literal, I guess. It's you know, it's, mm. it's, it isn't abstract. It isn't kind of existential. It's quite specific. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe then that 2016 project? Was that was that the kind of first time that the Dinawan Healing Project was that the first time you sort of really uh, worked directly in that kind of investigation, or had you been doing work prior to that? No, I think that was the first time because I I just moved back to to Perth, like or to Fremantle, um, after living in Melbourne for about seven years. Um, I was going through a pretty hard time and I realised I like there was something that clicked one day. I think I was having a shower and it just kind of hit me like I really need to connect with my dad's side of the family because there's so much there that I never really wanted to look at because it was too painful. So I just kind of went all in, started doing the research, reconnecting with like disconnected family members, like quite a large, large like extended family all over the continent. Um and then, yeah, like, yeah, as I said, threw myself into it and just, like, found found a way to get myself over to Queensland and then go into those archives and do a lot of searching and recording and thinking and writing. That work sort of predates Ambie Downs, which we'll, which we'll get to in a sec. How did it kind of manifest itself then? Because you don't just work in photography. I think you also do sort of painting in textiles and so on as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think I think the Dinawan Healing Project was more more of a research project that has since led to like creative expressions. I suppose it was that like initial getting to understand my place, um, where I sit in in everything uh, in the history and in my family and recognizing my role. I suppose, and then it you know after I did that that research trip. I came back to WA and I was just in the most brutal depression I think I've ever experienced for probably a year, maybe like a year and a half. I found it really hard to do anything with it, but I've only just actually started to go through some of the video that I recorded at that time. Unfortunately, I've lost all of the writing that I did because my hard drive crashed. Oh, <laughs> but but yeah, so like I've gone through some of the videos and I'll be, you know, like I documented myself walking through the Brisbane cemetery, trying to find this unmarked grave of one of my ancestors. Um, and it was so, it was emotional. I recorded every stage of it and then marking it with rocks and sticks and things from the area and trying to pay respects and really connect with, with, you know, with that sensibility, I suppose, mm, mm. the pain of it all. Uh, yeah. Whether it's, um, like you say, whether it had sort of didn't necessarily directly translate into sort of public exhibition of work, but you're still recording and, and going through the sort of whether it's ritual or performative practice within the actual space itself and sort of, you know, deepening your own connection to it. That sense of place is so critical to Ambie Downs, um, of course, the, the kind of music project. Was it sort of born then of that experience? Because you talk about obviously when you're in uh, the, the sort of 2016 project of documenting it with video. Was it that process that sort of naturally laid Tambi Downs or was there other work in between? 
I think it sort of technically did start there because with that uh, 2016 project, I that's when I started recording like field recordings and, and things like that. Like I'd never really done that before, but just recording stuff on my phone. Cause I felt like, you know, all of the sounds that I was hearing, like as I was moving through different areas and existing in different spaces, like I just found the like audio atmosphere, like quite, quite meaningful, I suppose. Like I just started to tap into that. I never did anything with those recordings. I started obsessively recording like a few years after that. And then that's what sort of led to Ambie Dow's being a thing because when I was uh, in Albany I was there just house sitting and I was really struck by the feelings that I was getting in that landscape and connecting with Noongar culture a little bit better. Like I applied to do an exhibition and I got accepted at the Vancouver Art Centre in Albany and then I just I was making originally it was going to be like just a photographic exhibition but I started making videos and then realised I needed to make soundtracks for the videos. And then that's that's where Ambi Downs really came from because my my first uh, release under the name Ambi Downs is the soundtracks from that exhibition. Can we just talk specifically then about the process of how the work comes together? Because I think it's you, you sort of described it as manipulating field recordings, which is you mm. know, coming from the kind of AV of the, of the place, but also you layer that with with other things as well, whether that's sort of. Um, it's mentions of sort of improvised guitar and, and, and toy piano and so on. So can you talk a little bit about the process of the practice? Yeah, initially it was like I was I was filming like with my digital SLR, like filming elements of the landscape and, yeah, again, really struck by the meaning that I found in those, the audio parts of it. So I would, you know, take the audio and layer all of the audio from all of the different videos, like the footage that I took from a spot I'd then layer all of the audio on top of each other and through like a sort of like intuitive process I guess like you know stretch it out like everything's slowed down pretty much mm. almost without exception and just sort of see yeah again seeing like if I can push that meaning making further in in the way that all of those layers work together yeah so like with the guitar and the toy piano like they were both um like those instruments were both gifts that like, you know, again, have meaning for me and the use of those things just sort of added to the, the, um, the, I don't know, the personal uh, expression. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to describe it. Like a way of sort of musically talking over the top of these atmospheric sounds um, to, to create more of a narrative i suppose mm, completely yeah yeah for sure yeah um and and that work that you mentioned there when you're in albany um mm. at the vancouver art center that was released as part of uh, i guess your, your your first release under the ambi down's name the yeah. kinjarling studies soundtracks back in uh, october last year i was yeah. interested you mentioned i think it was actually in relation to this release um, so sort of described it as ambient soundscapes, but sometimes with rhythm, and, and <laughs> <laughs> which which I thought was a brilliant description. But also, I wonder does that that rhythm is sort of from comes from manipulating the soundscapes themselves to sort of pulling the rhythm from there, or is there a kind of different approach to that? Um, yeah, well, this this uh, well, the first yeah, the first release, Kim Jarling, so these soundtracks. Like, there's there was only one track that I oh no, actually there's a couple, but there was one that I really like focused on trying to create a rhythm um, by yet yeah, chopping up the things even more brutally. But with this latest release, 
I used uh, like samples from radio and <laughs> computer games and stuff as well, like to, I don't know, get get more musical and sort of tap into a, a sort of more, uh, I guess, like relatable for all people who hear it, like a, like a more recognisable mm. like way of getting into a flow of thinking about the stuff that I'm trying to describe with the rest of it, if that makes sense. You mentioned radio there. One of the tracks I think on your SoundCloud is uh, "Violent Cops Attacking Protesters" is Ooh, the name yeah. of the track um, yeah. taken from the uh, IMARC protests last year, which was uh, just such a incredible and a kind of appalling scenario that kind of mm. uh, evolved there. Is that something that that you feel you're sort of moving from the personal to something that is perhaps a little more broad in terms of that um, you know sort of political use of that material? Um, I think I'm forever going to shift between the two and probably mix the two because, I mean, I, I view my, my personal understanding of things to be kind of inherently political being, you know, an Indigenous person. Like, like so I, can't, I can't really separate the two so one sort of does lead into the other but then, yeah, like some work will be more personal. Like I think I'll be, eventually I'll be doing um, like once restrictions are lifted and everything and I can get the cash together, I'll be going up to my ancestral lands and making a much more personal thing. But in the meantime, living in Melbourne and, you know, in the situation that we're in now, like I'm sort of leaning more towards that political thing, trying to connect with other people on that level rather than the personal experience. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a mix, I guess. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Because um, you, you mentioned, I think, on your uh, Patreon that your that potential drive up to uh, your ancestral country near Walgett in New South mm. Wales, but you, you haven't been there before. This would be the sort of the first the first time to, to visit that area, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I don't think any, like, no one in my immediate family line has been there for probably about five generations. So yeah. I, I'm I'm very driven to get to get there or like get back there. I I feel like it's going back there, you know, even though I've never been there. Mm, for sure. Um, yeah, and I was really looking forward to doing that this year, <laughs> like working towards that. And then you know, things are the way they are, and it's like an interesting like point where I can I'm sort of forced to sit back and not rush it. Like I can't rush it, so mm. I get to consider things like on a deeper level. I guess what what all of this pandemic stuff means and how it relates to, you know, history in general and the future and everything. Mm. So, yeah. If you are able to to make that trip when restrictions lift, I mean, it's a, 
it's a good thing to do first. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I can get the money together for it and <laughs> get a decent car to do that drive, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I just ask you then a little bit about the new record, Cyclical? That sort of came out, I think, maybe six months after the previous one. What was the sort of relationship of the two between Conjaling Studies and Cyclical and what was the sort of evolution between them? Once I released uh, Kinjaling Studies, um, like that was that was uh, at the same time that I had that exhibition at Vancouver Art Centre, and as soon as that exhibition uh, was packed down, like that day, I think uh, my partner and I left Albany, like and just drove up to Perth, with with the intention to, well, yeah, like planning to move, like drive over to Melbourne, which we did, I think, like a week after we got to Perth, and so it was a pretty immediate thing where I just felt uh, very compelled to document through audio recordings um, and a little bit of video that, that journey back across the, the continent. So all of that is, is essentially done somewhere between uh, Perth and Melbourne, essentially on, yes. that, on that drag. Wow. Okay. Yeah. For those of us who don't quite have a sense of scale, like what is that distance? <laughs> like how long does it take you to drive oh. from <laughs> Perth to Melbourne? I can't remember exactly the amount of numbers <laughs> of the kilometers that it is across the bottom there, but uh, I think I've done I've done that trip a few times in a car, and the the fastest I've done it is in I think about three days, and that was like driving for twelve hours right, straight right. or longer sometimes, and getting fuck all sleep, and then yeah, but this time that we did it, we stretched it out over about seven days and mm. most days were about seven to eight hours of driving but the last day was 10 hours of driving yeah. it's a big it's a yeah. big distance yeah the recordings which uh, both of those albums are uh, available on Bandcamp. i really sort of encourage people to watch watch the films because the films i think really sort of give give your work that that extra layer of meaning i think and just, can you tell us just a little bit about the video work because you are approaching it with a particular aesthetic yeah well the the kinjaling studies soundtracks one like yeah as I as I said like I I created the soundtracks for the videos but for for those ones I was creating the music as I was creating the videos they sort of spoke to each other so uh for me that stuff like the video is sort of essential to understand the music um and the music really accentuates the video you know like it gives it a a, like yeah, yeah, like a, a deeper sort of feeling and context. Whereas the like cyclical ones, um, it was a little bit more like starting the music without the video, and then I sort of thought about what I really wanted to show in relationship with that music, and then started to edit uh, the video, and then go back to editing the music to the video, and sort of back and forth like right. that. Yeah, so they're they're all tied together. Okay. Um, yeah.
when you make that trip to to Walgett in New South Wales, mm. is that with the intention to to sort of continue with the uh, audio and video recording? It's it's pretty see what happens. Like I have an idea that I would like to make uh, work when I go up there, but I'm also very aware of the fact that I may not feel that that's like appropriate or or I may not have the energy to do work when I'm up there because you know I'm I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen and what I'm going to what I'm going to do or how how I'm going to do it yet. I, I have some vague ideas, but yeah, I'm not I'm not 100 sure. So I'd like to, but I also realize that I'm I may not feel comfortable doing that straight away. It might be something that I do later or do a second trip. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. the focus is just getting up there so I can like be on country and and speak the language of country with other people who share that that experience of being from that country. So that's mm. kind of the focus of it. Yeah. And to feel the space and to listen to the space and and Yeah, get, exactly, get, get to know it. it. Yeah. Without necessarily having to turn that into a sort of piece for public exhibition that can be for Yeah, exactly. For I don't I don't want it to else. be a Yeah, like a don't necessarily want that thing to be a purely consumable like output on my part like I, I need to feel it and absorb it first so yeah. i'll just you know follow my gut on what to do um well look i hope you get there sooner rather than later <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> me too <laughs> and i uh, hope restrictions lift uh, before too long how is your um lockdown experience in melbourne how are you how are you going with it um, well, honestly, it's not that much different to pre-lockdown experience <laughs> in Melbourne. I think a lot of people are saying that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm 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 studying full time, and I'm just you know I'm gardening and and all that kind of stuff, which is exactly what I wanted to do like this year and the lead up to travelling. So it's not that much different. I guess I'm just not going to see gigs the way that I expected yeah. to after I moved back to Melbourne. So. Yeah. 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 Well, Um, well, look, thank you so much for um, spending some time having a chat with me for this. Mm, Thank um, you. Yeah, thanks very much.